Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody, and happy Easter. Oh my gosh, it's so great to have you guys. Thanks so much for being here this Easter morning. And um, just a quick announcement for next week. We're going to continue next Sunday our series, Investigating Jesus. We're going to be talking about what is that next step for you spiritually, next step with God what would he have you to do? Jesus really talks about this pretty explicitly in the Gospels. We're going to be unpacking that next weekend. I hope you won't miss that. But let me just say up front, I love Easter. I love when we pause and really talk about the resurrection. And here's why. Because it is the anchor to our faith. And what I mean by that is the resurrection of Jesus is created, is simply what created Christianity and launched the church and nothing else. Like before the resurrection of Jesus, in other words, there were no Christians, right? I think it's important to understand that. And to put it another way, if you like, if you like visuals or analogies, the resurrection is like the hook on which Christianity hangs, it is the hook, it is the nail of every piece of theology, doctrine that we have around Christianity. It hangs on this one event. And this is why it is so important for us to understand this event. Now, let me just first say, before we dive into the full message today, I understand there may be different groups of people here today. There are people who are coming from different places in their faith, and, or maybe no faith at all. So let me just speak to that for just a second. If you're someone who believes, but sometimes you wonder, like, is, this, is, is my faith in something that's solid? Am I just putting faith in faith? Is it just putting faith in what I hope is real? I hope that today can really help you see that your faith is not in vain. And if you're someone here that says that you wonder maybe how anybody could believe what I'm about to talk about, I hope my prayer and hope for you today is that I could provide maybe at least one step forward to move at least one objection out of the way so that if in the future, should you decide to investigate the claims of Jesus Christ, that at least this will give you a starting place, okay? And finally, if you wonder if it's possible to believe again. Maybe you're somebody who say, says, there was a time where my faith was quite vibrant. I was really close with God. I was involved in church. I was, you know, like, but what I found was that, you know, my adult questions, the, the Sunday school answers that I had been given as a kid just couldn't, didn't hold up to my, these kind of questions that I'm facing in life. And so you did what a lot of people have done. And they um, deconstruct their faith or they disbelieve, they walk away, they, they completely disbelieve the whole thing. And maybe that's you. And today I hope to be able to provide you a step back, a way to begin to work your way back to where you have come from. 
today. So before we go any further, I just want to say that I want to share with you one of the number one, I would really say it like this, the classic or primary argument or objection to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never heard it before, especially not on an Easter Sunday, but I'm going to give it to you right now. The primary argument against the legitimacy of the Christian faith is that the resurrection is a myth. It's the result of decades of oral transmission that was exaggerated and changed over time to suit an agenda of a later generation. The written accounts of the resurrection of Jesus were too far removed from the actual events to be accurate accounts. Now, this is the classic argument against the resurrection against Christianity. So we're going to talk about that today. I think it's really important, especially if you're somebody that says, yeah, well, that has been a sticking point for me. I have tripped up on this, and I have had a hard time taking a step forward with the Lord. So let's talk about this. What I want to share with you over the next few minutes, maybe no one has ever shared with you before. Even if you have been a, a Christian for years and years, you would say pretty much your entire adulthood, you have been a Christian. Maybe you have never heard what I'm about to share with you, okay? So I want to help you to understand the timeline of how these things took place. So here's how we're going to begin. All scholars agree, both believers, non-believing scholars agree on the history of what I'm about to tell you, that the Apostle Paul was a real person who lived in the first century, okay? All scholars agree on this, right? It's a historical fact. As a matter of fact, they would say he wasn't just a real person who lived in the first century. He had a massive, and I mean massive is not even the word, a massive influence on the spread of Christianity through the Roman Empire at a time when persecution of Christians was at its highest. So what he did was no small feat. Second only to Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul has done more to spread Christianity than probably any other human being that has lived in history, period according to historians, okay? And here's case in point. The New Testament contains 13 of its 27 documents are authored by Paul, okay? Nearly half of the New Testament is authored by Paul, penned by him, okay? And think about these. These are first century letters that he wrote to churches that God used him to start in all kinds of cities all across the Roman Empire. And this was, uh, his, his, uh, this was his influence that God had given him to be able to share this good news, this message about Jesus. Now, I'm about to share with you an undisputed letter by Paul, and here it is. It's his first letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. We know it as 1 Corinthians. It was written in 55 AD, okay? Now, to put this letter in context, Jesus was crucified by Rome in 30, and some scholars say it could be in 33 AD, okay? Now, again, this is an undisputed historical fact that is verified by Josephus, the Jewish historian, Tacitus, the, the Roman historian, and I've even shared some of those people in, in recent weeks. And so, this is, uh, this is a good way to understand the context of what we're talking about here. So if we could put it on a timeline, over here in AD 30, we'll go with the more conservative of the two numbers, 30 instead of 33, 
right? 30 was when Jesus was crucified and was claimed to be resurrected from the dead, right? And, and here in 55, so 25 years later, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Now, this is really important to understand. No, no respected scholar doubts that there was a historical Jesus and that he was crucified, as I said. And Paul, in this letter, 25 years later, he is writing to the people who live in Corinth, reminding them of a visit that he had just three years earlier in 52 AD. So, he's, he's reminding them in 52 AD, this is really important. This is when he first came to Corinth. He helped start the church. He shared this good news of Jesus with all kinds of people and they became followers of Jesus. And this is how the church started. So this explains why when you read 1 Corinthians, he's speaking in the past tense about things that he did with them. So let's take a look at what I'm talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 1. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, because he's reminding them of things that happened in the past, of the gospel that I preached, past tense, to you. In other words, he's reminding them of what he told them when he was with them. He goes on to say, which you received, again, past tense, on which you have taken your stand. Like, you heard this, you believed it, it was, uh, it was something that you accepted as fact, and he says, for what I received, and he's about to tell them, what I shared with you, I was sharing with you based on other people who have shared it with me. Like, this did not originate with me, Paul says. And, and to put it another way, and Paul's point here is, this information that I preached and I shared with you had been around a while. Okay, it didn't start when I preached it to you. It didn't uh, begin with me, but it had been around for a little while. So Paul is telling them um, that what he told them uh, was something that had been preached throughout this region before he ever got to them. Now, this is, this is pretty interesting. He goes on to tell them, here's what I preached to you. He's reminding them. I passed on to you as of first importance, like if you forget everything else I preached to you, don't forget this that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried, and again, no one disputes Jesus was executed by Rome. He goes on to say that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Okay, so this, is what, this was his message. He says, if you distill it all down, this is it, that of first importance that you would understand that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. So, wait, hold up real quick. Let's, let's look at our timeline one more time. So, by 55, Paul is writing a letter to the people in Corinth, reminding them of what he told them in 52. And the things that he was telling them about in 52 had happened back over here 22 years before that time in 30 A.D., so, but here's the thing that's kind of interesting, and some of you might know this. This was not Paul's first missionary journey. He had actually traveled before that in his first missionary journey to the island of Cyprus, among other Roman cities, back in A.D. 44, okay? And in A.D. 44, he's sharing the gospel with all kinds of people across the Roman Empire, now we're down to just 14 years from the time of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And he did this with his good friend Barnabas, 
on the first missionary journey. You can read about this in the Acts of the Apostles or the book of Acts in the New Testament. Now, just to remind you with the argument that we began the whole message with, the argument against the resurrection is based on a legend that grew up over time through oral transmission and was documented decades after the eyewitnesses were gone. But what we're finding is the eyewitnesses are still very much around when this was all being shared. So, now back to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. Let's take a look back with Paul. He says, and that he, this he here, he's talking about Jesus. He appeared, and this is post-resurrection, after his resurrection, to Cephas, this is Peter, and to the 12. So, all 12 of the disciples, later apostles, that were used by God to spread the gospel all across the Roman Empire. So, He's saying 14 years after the resurrection, Paul is claiming that Jesus appeared to Peter and to the apostles. Now, the question we gotta ask, especially if we're coming from a historical standpoint, how did Paul know that information? Where did he get that information? Well, he tells us in another undisputed letter in the New Testament, the letter to the Galatian church, Galatians, written in 55 to 57 AD. Okay, and in this letter, Paul shares some really interesting things. He tells us that three years after his conversion to Christianity, he made a little visit. He paid a visit to Jerusalem to meet the apostles. He thought, you know what, I probably should meet these guys, you know? I really should get to know them. So he goes to Jerusalem and he meets Peter and the little brother of Jesus, James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he tells us about it in Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Here's what Paul says. He says, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, this is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. So they had a lot of conversations. Peter shared with him a whole lot of, here's how it all started, Paul. Here is how it all began. I'm going to tell you everything I can remember. So over two weeks, they're together. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So he's telling us that this happened. And we know that this visit took place in 40 AD. That's just four years before his first missionary journey. Okay, so let's look at our timeline now. So, in 40, he pays this visit to Jerusalem just four years before his first missionary journey. But he tells us in Galatians 1 that when he visits, this was three years after his own personal conversion to Christianity. So we can put that on the board. 37 is when Paul is telling us, this is when I became a Christian, just seven years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if we go with the 33 date, that's only four years. Like it's, your, your timeline is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Paul becomes this believer. He's proclaiming the good news. But what's interesting is that he says even when he became a Christian, the good news or this idea, this, this witness of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was already being proclaimed by Peter, James, and the apostles in Jerusalem. This is the city in which Jesus was crucified, by the way. In that city, these men were proclaiming publicly and boldly, I might add, we're going to look at it in just a minute, about Jesus' resurrection. 
And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were turning to faith in Jesus. If there was ever a place where Christianity could have gotten stamped out and said, look, look, here, here's the evidence. He didn't really raise from the dead. Look, 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 look over here. Look, this is, this is actual evidence that, that Jesus' body is dead. Believe me, Rome would have loved to display the dead body of Jesus somewhere because they look like fools. Like they can't pull off a crucifixion. They had perfected it. And now they're hearing words and they're witnessing he's up walking around. Oh my goodness. Now, this is, this is remarkable. Now, it, there's more to the story. This is, it gets even more interesting here. That New Testament scholars, both believers and non-believers alike, are convinced that Paul's words back up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is him quoting a pre-existing creed that was adopted by the church. Now, just in case you're not familiar with creeds, creeds were just simply statements that encapsulated a core belief of the church. And what I'm saying to you is the resurrection was so widely accepted in that region of the world that it had already been made into a creed adopted by the church, set out loud publicly every weekend or every time they came together to worship and to meet together. And this was at a time when most people were illiterate. They couldn't read. So these creeds really helped them with their faith because they could memorize the creed. They say it together. They remember it. Just like lyrics to a song, they would remember it and it would help fortify and strengthen their faith. But this creed predates, historians would say, predates all New Testament accounts. Now to go back to our, our timeline, this means that somewhere in the seven year period or possibly four year period, if the re crucifixion resurrection was on 33, um, that somewhere in there, this creed got adopted. And historians are saying, and it predates everything we have in the Bible, like everything in the New Testament that we have recorded. So the timeline now has become so incredibly short. And what does this all prove? You may be wondering now, what does this all prove? Well, here's what it proves. That Paul's letter, Paul's letter is evidence that the people in Jerusalem who saw Jesus die, they witnessed it. Those people who would be the, the hardest to fool, they would have the most evidence to prove otherwise if it wasn't true. They believed he rose from the dead. They believed. And this was just a couple of years from the time that it happened. I heard one historian read it this week. I thought this was such a, an interesting way to put it. If in, in, they wrote a book proving historically the historical uh, evidence and, and undeniability of the resurrection of Jesus. But this one historian said, if I was writing to prove that Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. It's been 55 years since his assassination, but there's still people walking around that knew him, that were, that were present and around when, the, when he got shot. If I were to sit down with any of those people and say, surely you don't remember anything that Dr. King told you. Surely you don't remember witnessing him die. They would look at you like you're crazy. Like they probably talked about it every day or thought about it at least every day since the, it happened. And that's 55 years ago. And they would probably even tell you, he's a hero to me. 
I, I followed in his footsteps. I tried to do my best. I, I tried, like, they would give witness to what they'd experienced. Now, we're talking about a far smaller timeline here. It proves that what I'm showing you today, that the resurrection was not a product of oral transmission. It was a well-documented fact, historically, by eyewitness accounts that were still eyewitnessing things when these documents were being carefully recorded and distributed all over the known world of this time. So here's what I'm telling you, and I hope that you don't miss this today. The Bible didn't create Christianity. Early Christians did not create Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus was the only thing that created Christianity. It was the resurrection and only the resurrection that explains the existence and the persistent, explosive growth of the first century church. And that's exactly what it was. It is one of the most unexplained historical enigmas in the history of the world. How do you explain the explosive growth of this early church at a time where they were being persecuted to the nth degree? Like their, their bodies lit the Roman Colosseum when they had any events. The, the main attraction was come watch the Christians get fed to the lions. Watch them die publicly. This is what happens to those who follow Jesus Christ, but it continued to grow and grow and grow. And in the first 35 years, just in the, 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 the period of time that the book of Acts records for us, many historians believe that the number, those 150 of disciples that were gathered in the upper room at Pentecost had grown to over 250,000. Nearly a quarter million people grown like crazy. So much so that in that 35-year period, if we fast forward now to A.D. 64, during the reign of Nero, Nero was crazy, insane, trying to stamp out and destroy Christianity. As some of you may remember, if you're familiar with the history, the great Roman fire that we know now because of the Roman historian Tacitus told on him that he's the one that set fire. Nero set fire to Rome and tried to blame it on the Christians so that he could heap even more persecution and to destroy once and for all this Christian movement. But it backfired on him. The truth came out and the people sympathized with the Christians and it grew even more. It was the resurrection and only the resurrection that can explain the incredible, indescribable level of courage that you see in these early followers. They were not afraid anymore of anything it was crazy, these early believers, they had seen the crucified Jesus and they had seen him resurrected. And when they were asked by the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish um, board of directors, if you will, the ones who orchestrated the cross for Jesus, when they stood before them, they asked, in whose name do you do these things and you preach these things? In whose name do you do these miracles and you heal people? And here was Peter and John's response. This is coming from Acts chapter four, verse 10. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Think about the guts, the courage that took to call them out. They were incredibly powerful. They could easily send these same guys to the cross 
just as they did Jesus. And they were not afraid of them. You crucified, but God raised from the dead. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's another way of saying there's only one road to heaven and Jesus is it. And we have seen him show us the way. We have, he has filled us with courage. And they go on to say, and this is the observation of the Sanhedrin. When they saw the, let's say it together, when they saw the, the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they, they're just average guys. They were just, there was nothing special. They had not been trained. They had not been schooled. They had no education. They had nothing going for them other than the fact that they knew Jesus, right? They were ordinary men, and they were, let's, let's say it together, what were they? They were astonished. They were astonished at what they saw. The courage was like mind-blowing. No one had ever been this bold in the face of a Roman scourgy and a Roman crucifixion. But these men were. It was as though they had already gained what Paul later says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, you can't scare me. If I live, I'm gonna live for Jesus. And if I die, man, massive upgrade for me. I get to go be with him. Hello. And I believe that like more than anything in my life because of what I have witnessed, what I have seen and the people I have talked to. It was incredible. And they go on to say, they took note that these men had been with, let's say it together, with Jesus. Now these men had been with Jesus for over three years as his disciples, but the Jesus he's talking about here is that they had been with the resurrected Jesus. You can't scare us anymore. Jesus has shown us that this life isn't all there is and there is an eternal life to follow. And Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. He was the first to go and he shows us that our faith is not in vain and we can trust that and we can live for that and we don't have to be afraid. And then they tried to warn these men. They tried to scare them they said, if, don't you ever speak in Jesus' name ever again. We do not want you to go around talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You stop it right now or we'll come after you. We're going to kill you, your family, your friends, everybody you know. We're going we're to make life a living hell for everybody if you keep this up. Tried to intimidate them, which would have worked on a normal person. But here was their response. Here was Peter and John's response. Which is right in God's eyes? Man, isn't that a great way to start? Which is right in God's eyes? I think today we need to ask that again. What is right in the eyes of God? Like, let's live in light of that instead of everybody's opinion, right? Which is right in the eyes of God? To listen to you or to him? When they ask it like that, it's just like an idiotic question, right? Duh, right? So you be the judges. As for us, as for, 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 for these guys, right, for us, we cannot help 
speaking about what we have, let's say it together, what we have seen and heard. We were witnesses of these things. We watched Jesus die on the cross. We peered into an empty tomb. He was gone. And in John 21, it tells us that one morning when they were all fishing in the boat, Jesus shows up on the shore and he says, hey guys, come on in. I've made breakfast. We got to have breakfast with the risen Jesus and he made breakfast. That's a breakfast you'll never forget, right? It's if, it, as if to say, we will never, ever stop speaking about him. You can't shut us up. You see, you can't scare people who are not afraid of death anymore. God, I really believe that it is a day where the people of God need to get back to that kind of faith. We're not afraid anymore that we will live for him. We will love fearlessly the way he did. This is beautiful because they had gazed into the eyes of the resurrection and the life and they were changed forever because of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you do not miss this. This is how Christianity began. This is it. This is the core. This is the nucleus, if you will. This is it. It wasn't based on a book, although we're so thankful for the book that it records these things, but on an event, an undeniable historical event that changed the world. And I can speak personally, my own personal testimony, that it has changed my world And I hope and pray, my prayer today, is that it either has changed your world or it will today, that you would be open to it, to receive Jesus' forgiveness of sin and him as Lord. Now going back to the three groups that I addressed at the beginning, for you who believe but wonder, I hope that today you'll see that your faith is not in vain. Your faith is not in vain. For you who wonder, how could anybody believe this? Perhaps this helps. Perhaps it allows you to take a first step to investigate the claims of Jesus. And for you who wonder if it's possible to ever believe again, I really, my prayer for you today is that you would see this as an invitation to take a step back towards the Lord, that you can trust him, that Christianity is not a, just a proposition saying have faith in faith. No, it is have faith in a historical event that actually happened with real people just like us sitting here in this room today that witnessed something that changed them forever. And it didn't just change them, it changed the course of the world history. It broke time in half from BC to AD. It's so powerful and it still has power. Jesus has power to change our life right down to this day. I wanna invite you to be willing to today, if you would, just to acknowledge the name that is above every name, that it is by the name of Jesus that we are extended salvation from Father, your heavenly Father, that through the name of Jesus, you can come to know him and you can receive and accept this is a historical fact. And here's the application prayer I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply just saying, Lord Jesus, I see your resurrection as an undeniable historical fact. There's a timeline to show it. Help my faith to be bolder because of it. Help me to begin to live in a way that maybe I've been a little afraid to up till now because I don't really know how to answer. I don't know that there are good questions 
for some of the objections to Christianity and to the resurrection. And finally, and maybe this is for some of you here, I receive your forgiveness and declare you as the Lord of my life today. And maybe today, it's not necessarily that you're becoming a Christian for the first time, although that may be true for you today. Maybe it's just like you have been carrying the weight of some guilt and shame over something that's happened in your past, and it's time for you to hand that over to Jesus. He says, give that to me. That's part of the reason why I was on the cross, so that you can be free. I took on that burden so you don't have to. So you can be free. You can be my child and not have to drag this slavery to sin and burdensome life. But you can know him and know the freedom that he offers through the gift of salvation. So right now, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you if you would bow with me in prayer right now. We're going to just pray through this right where you sit And I'd like to ask you that wherever you are spiritually today, that you would be willing to take the next step. And it's just a quick reminder that we're going to be unpacking that even more next Sunday, so I encourage you not to miss that. What is your next step with God? Let's go before the Father right now. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, dear God, that we can put faith down in the historical, undeniable event of the resurrection. God, we place our faith and trust in that. And I pray, God, that all across this room, we would live more boldly because of it, just like Peter and John did. Help us, dear God, to begin to live out our faith in a way maybe we have been a little timid to do. And right now, if you know that God is telling you it's time to take a step with me, It's time to take a step with your faith. Let it grow. I didn't invite you into this relationship, God tells us, for you just to stagnate and just stay in the same place any more than you would want your children just to stagnate at a certain age and never grow beyond it. It's time. There's so much more your Heavenly Father has for you. Would you right now just say, God, I'm asking you to give me the courage to take the next step with you. Would you just lift your hand if you're saying yes to God? I'm asking you, Lord. Yes, I see your hands on the floor, in the balcony. Just tell him, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm asking you for the courage to take that next step, to trust you in a way that I, may, I have never before trusted you. I've been too timid. I didn't feel like I had enough evidence. Or if I can just be really honest, it's just been all about me. I really haven't cared much about you. It's about making myself happy, and that's not working out so great. It's time for me to begin to walk in, live in your peace. I call out to you right now. Help me to live in that courage and boldness. You may lower your hands. I pray right now in this room, all across this room, those of you watching online right now that would honestly say, I know God is prompting my heart to turn everything over to him to invite him into my life right now, to trust that his resurrection paves the way for me to be forgiven of sin and to be a child of the Most High God. I can start that right here, right now, all across this room. And those of you online, would you just pray this prayer right now? If you know God is moving your heart and it is time, God's saying, yes, this is the moment, this is the time. It is Easter 2023. I want you to take the step with me. You know it, and this is the time. Would you just take it right now? Just say, right now, Lord Jesus, 
I'm asking you to forgive my sin and that you would begin to lead my life from this moment forward. I invite you into my life right now. Forgive my sin and be the leader of my life from this moment forward. And if you are doing that right now, you know God's telling you to do it and you're saying yes right now, I'd love to pray for you. And this is your first time of really dedicating this or maybe a first time in a long time and you're recommitting. Would you just lift your hand all across this room saying, Will, right now I am committing my life to the Lord. God bless you, sir, right here, right down here. God bless you right back there. Thank you. Anybody in the balcony giving my life over to Jesus Christ. God bless you, ma'am. I see you right back here. God bless you. Thank you for listening and following the prompting of God's Spirit in your heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, right now that you're still in the business of resurrection, resurrecting hearts and lives, even here in this room right now, today. New life, eternal life. You came not to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Thank you. Thank you that we get to celebrate that. Thank you that we get to witness it even today that your power all these years later is still working miracles in our midst. We praise you for it. And I pray, God, that you would help us as we go here from here today to walk in a boldness that we have not yet had that is a gift from you. We pray it all in the incredible name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you back next weekend. We'll see you. Have a great Easter. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.